0: The following message is from Westway Christian Church in Scottsbluff, Nebraska. If you'd like to know more about us, go to westwaychurch.com. Thank you for listening. Well, good morning. My name is John, and I'm another one of the pastors here at Westway Christian Church. And I want to invite you, if you have your Bible with you today, to open it to Romans uh, chapter 13. We're also going to be looking at 1 Peter 2. 2 Corinthians 5 and Ephesians 6.20. And while you're turning in your Bible to Romans chapter 13, uh, Mike earlier today talked about we are reopening, regathering our children's ministries here at Westway Christian Church. Uh, Our church right now is in phase three of the regathering. And what that means is we're doing more things here in the building. We have small groups that are meeting. We have Sunday school classes that are meeting and it's our desire to regather and relaunch our children's ministry um, pre-K through fifth grade. And in order to make that happen, we need need you to help us. Um, This is a way for you to to help move us back. I want to say not to, I'm not going to use the phrase new normal, um, but move us back to a place where we are able to function more like the way we desire to function. And what that looks like is, equipping parents and families to make disciples of their own children. And our children and our student ministry is, is a key part of that piece. So if you have served in children's ministry before, uh, it's, time, it's time to come back and serve. If you have not served in children's ministry before, this would be a great way for you to learn more. Um, and Mike's going to talk a little bit more about that uh, toward the end today. If you have any questions about our message, I would love for you to send them, um, just text the word question to 308-252-3273. On Tuesday mornings at 1115, we do a Tuesday Q&A, although now we call it Q&R, which is question and response. Because if you've watched any of those lately, you found this is really nuanced. There's there aren't a lot of quick and easy answers when we think about the political world in which we engage in. We've talked about that over the past couple weeks and as we go through November 8th, we're going to talk more about that. There are no easy answers. And today's text in Romans 13 is very similar to that. There's nothing easy in what we're going to read today. So here's I want to give you a little bit of context of what's happening at the church in Rome before we read our text this morning. Uh, This is written in the spring of 57 AD and it's written to a network of house churches in the city around, in and around Rome. And there were probably five, maybe seven different house churches. The early church did not meet in the way that we do. They didn't have a big room. They didn't call everyone to come together at a certain day, at a certain time in a big room, but they would gather and sing and pray. They would have a meal together. They would be devoted to the apostles' teachings in what we would probably honestly call small groups or home groups. That's really what the early church looked like and the way that they functioned. And that teaching came in a lot of different forms. One of those forms was a letter. And the book of Romans was one of those letters. In Romans 16:1, we get a really big hint about what, who, what that looked like, what it looked like for them to receive the letter, who delivered the letter. And in Romans 16:1, it tells us um, that Phoebe was a deacon from the church in Centria, and she was likely the deliverer of that letter, and it was likely that she actually read that letter to the house church, and to all of the house churches in Rome. The Christian presence in Rome was mainly made up of people who had converted from Judaism out of the synagogue. And then there were lots of Gentile converts to Christianity as well. So so when you showed up at a house church, there were going to be Jewish converts to Christianity and Gentile converts to Christianity. So as you can imagine, the way that they viewed the world, the way that they viewed Christianity, the way that they viewed their faith was probably a little bit different. About eight years before this letter was written in 49 A.D., the emperor Claudius expelled all of the Jews from Rome. This is history. There's a Roman historian named Suetonius, and he said this. In one of his writings, Claudius expelled from Rome, the Jews constantly making disturbances at the instigation of Crestus. So think about that word for a minute. Crestus. Why would why would Jews be making disturbances at the instigation of this Crestus? Who is Crestus? Well, scholars believe that Crestus referred to this movement of Christianity. So if you were to read through the New Testament, especially the book of Acts, you would see that there are a number of riots that take place. Whenever, whenever Christians would come into a town, there were Jews who did not want to convert to Christianity, who did not believe Jesus was the Messiah, and they would generate all of these riots. Well, these riots had made their, had made their way to Rome. So what Claudius did was he expelled the Jews From Rome in 49 AD. We actually talked about this several years ago. In Acts 18. Luke writes this. That Paul had met Priscilla and Aquila in Corinth. They had recently. This is in Acts 18. They had recently left Rome. Because of the emperor Claudius. He had deported all of the Jews from Rome. So Claudius dies in 54 AD. And with him, this edict that all of the Jews had to leave died with him. And Jews re- began to return to the city of Rome. And I want you to imagine for a moment what that may have been like for a returning Jew. You go back into the house church, maybe that you founded and someone else has taken over. Wouldn't that, what might that have been like for them? I think some of us have a little bit of sense of that. We were only deported out of this facility for three months. And when we've walked back in in through those doors in our lobby, there's camera and I'm on the screen. And there's all of these new things that are taking place. And it's a little bit disorienting for us. Imagine what it must have been like for these Jews to return home to their places. The churches in Rome faced a significant ethnic divide and Nero had just come to power. And while they weren't yet wrapping Christians in animal skins and throwing them to the lions. While they weren't yet covering them with tar and pitch and then lighting them on fire so Nero could could enjoy his garden at night. There were times of persecution that were coming for the Christians. Just 13 years after this letter was written, Rome was going to go into Jerusalem. They were going to destroy it. And then shortly after that, they would parade the menorah and the trumpets from God's temple in Jerusalem through Rome. This is a very chaotic time in the life of the church in Rome. Racial tensions and ethnic divides, the threat of government oppression on a marginalized people. Isn't the Bible relevant to our day? It's into this context that Paul wrote Romans. So when I begin my message prep, the first thing I do is there's an app on my iPad that allows me to look at the Greek and the English of the text. And the first thing I do is I've had this book um, actually since my very first sermon here at Westway Christian Church. This is, my, this is my sermon journal. And what I do is I sit down with the Greek and the English and I do a little bit of translation work because I want to make sure that, that what I'm saying, what I'm going to talk about closely matches um, what Paul would have written. So a few weeks ago, when I wrote down Romans 13, Verses one to seven. There was a ton of tension created in that text for me. So what I'm going to do is I'm going to I'm going to read it to you out of my notebook. You can follow along in your Bible. Obviously, it's not going to match what I'm reading. So what I'm going to read to you is just kind of a hybrid of the Greek and the English And I'm going to read it slowly and methodically because I want to invite you into my stress and my tension from that day. You're welcome. (laughs) Let every person be subject, parentheses under obedience, to the governing authorities, parentheses power and jurisdiction. For there is no authority except by God, and those that exist are put in place, parentheses arranged and assigned by God. The one who resists opposes authority, which is from God, resists the ordinance, which is from God. And those who resist will receive condemnation on themselves. Here's what that word condemnation means. It means avenge, it means damnation. To resist the government is to receive avenging from the government, is to receive damnation from the government. For rulers are not a cause of terror for a good deed, but for bad conduct. Do you want to be not afraid of authority? do what is good and they will praise you for it's God's servant for what is good. But if you do what is bad, parentheses, worthless, depraved, evil, be afraid, parentheses, alarmed because it does not bear the sword to no purpose. It's God's servant, the one who punishes the one who does what is bad. As I read that particular text and looked at the Greek when it says it does not bear the sword. Another word for that is wear. Government doesn't wear the sword. We're going to finish this out in a second, but I want to just share something from this. Government doesn't wear the sword for no reason. Several weeks ago, Ann and I went to Fort Laramie, and we went upstairs into the, into, into the cavalry barracks. Maybe you've been in that room, and they're plexiglassed off, and they have bunks set up in there. And Ann says to me, hey, what's that hat about? So I looked And initially, all I saw was like the black cavalry hat that we might be used to with the swords crossed on it. And I said, well, that's their, like, that's the cavalry hat. They would have, that was their campaign hat. They would have worn that out on campaigns. And she said, no, what's that other hat? Well, then I looked a little bit closer and there was a ceremonial hat that they would have worn in parades. Government does not wear a ceremonial sword. Government wears a campaign sword. The sword that government bears is not for show. Does that make sense? It's not a pretend sword, one that looks nice. It's meant to be used. Here's verse five. Be in subjection, parentheses, under obedience. Not only because of wrath, but because of conscience. Pay your taxes. The government the authorities serve God and are busily involved. Pay everyone what is owed. Pay taxes to whom taxes are due. Pay custom duties to whom custom duties are due. Pay respect to whom respect is due. Pay honor when honor is due. I wonder as I read that, was there a specific verse that you felt a little bit of a twist when I hit that text? For me, it was all seven verses. As I read and studied and wrote, when we read this last week in our staff meeting, Becky said, I'm filled with, but what about? And I wonder, as you heard Romans 13:1 to seven read over you this morning where you thinking, yeah, but, but what about, what, what about, what about? So let's think about these texts for a minute. Let's be real with them. Let's engage with them. Integrity. Who must submit to the governing authorities? Let me hear you. I want to hear you say it. Who must submit to the governing authorities? Me. Everyone. Everyone is what Paul says. Where does authority come from? God. All authority comes from God is what this text tells us. All authority comes from God. If we rebel against those authorities, which you just told me came from God. When we rebel against authority, who are we rebelling against? You guys have gotten quieter. Since we started this. Are you feeling that tension? Are you feeling that twist? Well, what if, what if our government mandates masks? Does this apply? What if they mandate vaccines? Does this apply? See, this isn't a joke. These aren't, these aren't things for us to read and think they don't apply to us. We have to ask these questions. We have to interact with this text. Because Paul was writing to a people who were not living in a hypothetical fantasy world of a government that was going to crush the life out of them literally. Paul's writing this to a people who were in the process of being marginalized, who are paying far more than any of us Will likely ever pay for our own faith. Just picked up a book recently called Reading Romans Backwards by an author named Scott McKnight. And he says this Zealotry is not the answer, subjection is. Non vengeance is the Christian way of life. Rulers are designated by God to be God's servants. And are to do good and establish justice. And just because they don't. Doesn't mean we have the right to ignore them. The followers of Jesus in Rome are to pay taxes and submit to authority. As a way of blessing, peacemaking and loving their enemies into neighbors. The incursion of Christ means the believers in Rome can no longer live as they once did. Everything has changed. Everything has changed. Even the way we interact with our government. I love love verse five in Romans 13. Be in subjection not only because of wrath, but because of conscience. Here's what that's saying. We don't honor the law just because we're afraid we're going to get punished. We honor the law because it's the right thing to do. As a runner, one of the things that I am ke- more keenly aware of now than ever is when I drive. When I pull up to a stop sign, I actually look both ways. I don't think most of the drivers in Scotts Bluff Gearing have ever heard of that concept. But I look both ways. Because as a runner, I experience what it's like to come running up to a stop sign Knowing, like, my anticipation is no one is looking out for me, and if they had the chance, they're going to run me over. So I don't look both ways at a stop sign because it's the law. I look both ways at a stop sign because it's the right thing to do. I don't drive through my neighborhood at 40 miles an hour because um, the speed. And then feel bad if I get a ticket because the speed limit's 25. I, I follow the speed limit because I don't want to run someone over. So, the times when I go faster than the speed limit and I look down and I see my speedometer and I go, ooh, we we'll probably all do that, right? I don't do that and then look around to make sure I uh, no policemen are, are after me. I do that because I realize I'm being unsafe. And what Paul is exhorting the church in Rome to do is don't just pay your taxes because you have to. Don't just submit to governing authorities because you have to. Submit to governing authorities because of your conscience. Because it's the right thing for us to do. And when it gets into this taxes part, the reading, the suggestions all come to mind of, Well, since we can't fight the government on their terms, right? As Jews in Rome, we can't fight the government with swords because there's too many of them. So I know what we'll do. We won't pay our taxes. I'm really frustrated that my cousins in Jerusalem are being oppressed. I'm, I'm frustrated that the taxes they're paying are paying for their own occupation. So I know what I'll do. I won't pay my taxes. Paul does not give them that as an out. Paul says, pay your taxes. Several weeks ago, Scott Marr said this in our small group. He said, be a a good steward to the government you are subjected to. Be a good steward to the government you are subjected to. I love what Peter writes in 1 Peter chapter 2, verses 13 to 17. I'm actually going to go back to verse 11 in 1 Peter chapter 2. Dear friends, I warn you as temporary residents and foreigners to keep away from worldly desires that wage war against your very souls. Be careful to live properly among your unbelieving neighbors. Then even if they accuse you of doing wrong, you will see, they will see your honorable behavior and they will give honor to God when he judges the world. Here's verse 13. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority. Which human authority? I'll let me hear you. All human authority whether the king as head of state or the officials he has appointed. A few weeks ago, I was in a conversation with someone. We were talking about coronavirus. We were talking about COVID-19. And this person said, you know, panhandle health has a lot of power in the state. A ton of power. This person went on to say that Panhandle Health probably has more power right now in the state than almost any other entity. And then they said this, and they're not even elected. For the Lord's sake, submit to all human authority, whether the king is head of state or the officials he has appointed. Here's what I want to encourage you to do right now do not Think for a moment that I am leaping to John loves wearing masks. Don't make that jump in your mind. I hate wearing masks. With a passion, with the red hot intensity of a thousand suns. But the book I read tells me that I am to obey my governing authorities for the king has sent them to punish those who do wrong and honor those who do right. It is God's will that your honorable lives should silence those ignorant people who make foolish accusations against you for you are free, yet you are God's slaves. So don't use your freedom as an excuse to do evil. Respect everyone and love the family of believers. Fear God and respect the King. This is a perfect transition for us today as we think about government, as we think about our role as the church. For God's sake, honor those in authority over you, honor them. And when we do this, we're living righteously and we're not giving people an excuse to look into our lives and judge us foolishly. See, when we fail to honor those who have been placed in authority over us, which you all told me was from God. When we fail to do that, we are not honoring God. And we're giving people an excuse to judge us, and ultimately to malign Christ, and like Scott McKnight says, just because government fails to fulfill its role in three things we talked about last week, this last week—promoting justice, promoting flourishing, and paving the way for redemption—just because government doesn't do those three things, does not give us an out to not obey our government. <laughs> And here's the reality. This is what we learned in Romans 13. When we disobey government, they're going to bring the sword. You get that, right? When we disobey our government, they're going to bring the sword. Governments throughout history have brought the sword. With vengeance, they have brought. The sword. Last week in our staff meeting, we talked about Corey Ten Boom. Her and her family, if you don't know, during World War II, they hid Jews during World War II from the Nazi occupiers. See, they made a choice Are we going to obey the government or are we going to obey God? We're going to obey God. And when you obey God, there are times where it's going to put you at odds with your government and they're going to throw you in a concentration camp. And those are the choices we have to make. And for Corey ten Boom, she was okay with that. She was ready to accept the sword for being obedient to God. So when we push back against our governing authorities, they're going to bring the sword. So don't you want to push back on something that matters? If I'm going to get a fine or worse, let it be because they told me I was not allowed to proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. Gladly will I pay that fine. Don't let it be for a mask. We nuts. What are we called to do? Here's 2 Corinthians chapter 5. Verse 20. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. See, earlier I said that, that Phoebe was the deliverer of this letter from Paul to the church at Rome. And she probably read it in all of those house churches and I love Scott McKnight. You're probably going to hear more from him later. So what he says, he says, he, Paul, chooses a woman to embody his letter, which means the face of Paul is experienced in the face of Phoebe. Before anyone hears the letter, they encounter the body of Phoebe in their midst. So when Phoebe stands up in front of the house church, before she says a word, they are encountering Phoebe. We've talked a little bit about this in the past. As Christians, we bear the most important message in history. We have that message to share the good news of Jesus Christ. And before they hear a word from our mouths about the good news of Jesus Christ, you know what they see? You. They see me. Before a word comes Off of my tongue, they see me. They see what I'm wearing. They see what I'm driving. They see how I act, how I speak. They see how I hold the door for someone when when they're walking into a restaurant or when I don't. They see how I tip or how I don't tip. They see the way that we treat other people. They see what we post online. See, before they encounter Jesus, they encounter you. Do you feel the weight of that? That we are a representative of Jesus. We are an ambassador of Jesus. Before they encounter the good news that you might share with them about Jesus. They probably encounter your views on government. They encounter the way you talk about your government, the way you talk about those running for office. They encounter that in you. And right or wrong, they are filtering and categorizing everything you say about the gospel of Jesus Christ through the way that you live your life and the way that I live mine. That's your first witness is your life. It's not what you say. What you do, it's who you are. You and I, we as Christians, we are ambassadors given an important message. And nothing should stand in the way of that powerful message. Here's 2 Corinthians 5.20 again, listen. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That is our message to a dying world. That's our message. It is not make America great again. Our message to a dying world is come back to God because we represent Him first and foremost. We are ambassadors. For Christ, and as as Paul wrote in Second Corinthians, like we just happen to, or Peter wrote, like we just happen to live in this place. God has set us in this place that we are ambassadors. So we just happen to live here. Any one of us we could have born, been born in Brazil or Russia or Yugoslavia or like we could have been born anywhere, and our message would still be the same. Come back to Christ. Come back to Christ. Come back to God. Here's Ephesians 6, verses 19 and 20. Paul's in prison at this point when he writes Ephesians chapters. When he writes Ephesians, we talked about this last year. And pray for me too. Ask God to give me the right words So I can boldly explain God's mysterious plan that the good news is for Jews and Gentiles alike. I am in chains now, still preaching this message as God's ambassador. So pray that I will keep on speaking boldly for him as I should. See, here's Paul's reality. He didn't let the fact that God had put the sword of the Roman government over him and had placed him in jail. He didn't allow that to get in the way of his mission to proclaim the good news of Jesus. Because Paul knew that the Romans who put him in jail, in some strange way that I can't properly explain, which is why this is not black and white, God placed those Roman authorities in position of power to wield the sword. And like Scott said, Paul was simply subject to the government that he was subjected to. He willingly placed himself in that role. See, Paul didn't need to be set free from a Roman prison to ambassador Christ. I want you to hear that again. Paul did not need to be set free from a Roman prison to ambassador Christ. You do not need to graduate from Bible college to ambassador Christ. I'm using that as a verb, by the way. You don't have to have everything in your life properly organized and orderly in order to ambassador Christ. Paul is in prison and he was doing it. See, Paul didn't need a building where more than 50% of, of its rated capacity could meet. He didn't need that. In order to proclaim Christ, Paul didn't center his entire Christian life and Christian behavior around what happened at a certain time in a certain place on a Sunday morning in order to ambassador Christ. Paul was in prison. The sword came down on him, and he talked loudly and probably drove all of the guards nuts. The interesting thing is twice Paul used his Roman citizenship for his own benefit, but not for his own rights, but so that he could proclaim the gospel. I would encourage you to read through the book of Acts. Twice Paul says, I'm a Roman citizen. That sounds like us. I'm an American citizen. No one has the right to blah, blah, whatever thing you think people are taking your rights away for. Government doesn't have the right to do that to me. I'm an American citizen. Paul played that card too. But it wasn't so he could talk about his rights. It was so he could proclaim the gospel of Jesus Christ. And there are times where we talk about our rights. I said this last week, man, I, given my, given the choices of countries I could have been born into. I'm incredibly thankful and grateful to God that he chose to place me here. But I've been placed here to proclaim the gospel. And you have been placed here. If you're a believer, if you're a follower of Jesus, you have been placed here to be an ambassador for Christ here. And I love my rights. I'm taking advantage of them right now. My right, we have a right to freely assemble. We have the right to utilize freedom of speech. And I want to use those rights not for my own good, but for the proclamation of the gospel. See, Paul didn't just know and believe that he was ambassador, he lived it out. He used every moment he could to ambassador the good news of Jesus Christ to tell other people. I'm gonna read one more text. This, is, I didn't, this isn't on the screen. This is 2 Timothy 2. Verses nine and 10. And because I preach this good news I am suffering and have been chained like a criminal. But the word of God cannot be chained. Let that sink in for a moment. Even though we may be in chains for preaching and proclaiming the good news of Jesus Christ, God's word will never be chained. Never. It can't be. So I'm willing to endure anything if it will bring salvation and eternal glory in Christ Jesus to those God has chosen. What kind of person writes that from prison? Someone who's an ambassador for Jesus Christ. Someone who is completely sold out for the gospel is the kind of person that says, I know I'm in prison. I'm subject to governing authorities. They're punishing me. They have me bound. They're giving me awful food. The conditions here are terrible. And he says, we read it earlier. Don't pray that I'm freed. Pray that I'll be bold. And I think that's a message right now that the church in America needs to hear. We don't need freedom from less restrictions. We need to be bold despite those restrictions. And part of being bold despite restrictions mean the government is going to bring the sword. It's not a ceremonial sword. It's not for show. This is a call for us. This is a call for us to live as ambassadors for Jesus Christ. And to know what we're getting into. And it's a tremendous opportunity for us. Let's pray. God, I'm thankful that. I'm thankful that you care enough about our world. That you have placed government in its role to bear the sword. To punish people who are evil. There is an abundance of evil in our world. And you have, you have created a mechanism to judge those people. To judge evildoers. To judge wicked people. You have given that. And that is a gift. And we are to praise you. We are to thank you for that you've also given us the church a role you have given us an opportunity to be ambassadors for you and there are going to be times where our role as an ambassador and the role of the sword are going to collide help us to help us to choose wisely Give us the courage to be bold in our proclamation of your son, Jesus. Help us to care less about our rights as citizens and more about our role as an ambassador of your son, Jesus. That is what is going to change people's lives. It's in your son's name that we pray. Amen.